Good morning and welcome to First Baptist. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Would you stand please? Let's sing our praise to the Lord this morning. He is holy, Lord God Almighty.
seated, please. All right. Well, thank you for being in church this morning. Doesn't it feel like, like doesn't the weather feel different? I was trying to say what it feels like. Boy, gracious me, it is. It feels like Thanksgiving week and Christmas is around the corner and we're just excited about all of that. Now, if you're not one of our members, whether you're in the room or you're watching, either way, we're delighted to have you worship with us today. And we want you to help us by letting us know that you're one of our special friends today by just on the phone, you can do it. You see the little number on the screen or you can take your bulletin and you can fill that out and put in one of these little giving center boxes when you leave. But we want you to know we're glad that you chose to spend part of your Sunday with us at First Baptist. And so, members, let's give our guest a hand. Can we do that? Now, if you have a bulletin, of course, in the room, if you don't have a bulletin, where well, you actually could get a bulletin by going to the internet and putting it up on our church webpage. But be that as it may, you see that our final Harvest Day total, it ends the Sunday after Harvest Day, $671,564.65. Let's just give God glory. You know, what's interesting about that, like it was the, it wound up being the second largest Harvest Day uh, that we've ever had. Oh, the one last year was the absolute largest, and the one last year had some unusually large gifts. It really helped that. We thank the Lord when that happens. This year, we didn't have those kind of gifts, but we had some very good gifts. But here's the thing. We had so many people this year, more than ever, that gave to Harvest Day. Now, if you have a bulletin, you can read the little paragraph that I wrote about how I signed little notes uh, and included them with the checks that were mailed on Friday. But there are nine ministries that our church monthly supports that based on their needs are going to be receiving checks this week. Now, here's the thing. They don't even know they're coming. And those checks add up to $422,000. Now, you think about that. Like, like you see, it's not, it's not about just us. Now, this year... Harvest Day didn't help the budget one bit because that's the money all went away. And uh, I bless the Lord for that. And I know those ministries and I know that they really depend on extra things coming their way to be able to function. That's just how that is. And so they're going to really be blessed this week. Now, I want to ask you, we just need to stay extra faithful to our own church these remaining Sundays this year so we can finish up the year as we need to here at home. But thank you for your faithful giving. Now, at member services, there's a little information about Stephen Ministry. And last week, 20-something people picked those up. I hope you might drop by today and just pick up one of those little information sheets. That may well be something that God might use you to be a blessing to others. Also, at both welcome centers today, when you go out from the church, there are budget brochures for the 2023 budget. And I wish you'd pick one up, look it over, read the little information under each little section so you kind of know what's going. And on the first Sunday in December, we will vote on adopting our new budget. You know, the truth is, <laughs> we vote on a budget every week. You say, how do we do that? By our giving. Actually, that's how the budgets handle. We vote where we want to, but what we do on Sunday during the week, and you're so faithful, and I thank you for that. Now, there are about 50, they tell me, these yard signs still remaining out in the commons. And, you know, I wish you'd pick one of those up if you're not. For one thing, 
not only does it tell people about the seeing of Christmas tree, it's really a witness. You know, during this election, you just saw political yard signs everywhere. I think it'd be kind of neat to see some Jesus yard signs somewhere. What do you think of that? And you know, when you put a yard sign in your yard, the people may not even know who lives in the house, but it would say this, whoever lives in this house goes to church. It's a real great witness in addition to promoting the singing tree. So let's just wipe that up today. And if we don't get it done next Sunday, we'll all get a yard sign that already have them. We'll put them in our backyard. So if people are going through our backyard, they, they can find that. I want to say a special happy birthday today to one of our faithful members who now lives away in a nursing facility, but Mary Bennett. Mary Bennett this past week on the 15th turned 93 years of age. And Mary, now I know you watch this service. Well, yeah, let's go and give her a well, Let me tell you about Mary Bennett. When she lived here before she had to leave to go where she is now, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, always in her place. And Mary, you, you're, you've been a blessing to this church and God's blessed you. And I hope you had a great birthday. If those sons didn't give you good gifts, you tell them pastor said they need to, you know, shape up, do what they should. But here's what I pray for you. I pray this year coming is going to be a good year for you. Now, you know, a church is a family and we don't all know everybody. You don't know everybody, but we can pray for those whether we know them or not. We have a member of our church who actually is on the staff of the church, Nicole Piper Flanagan. Now, by all those names, that's Nicole. And for about six years, Nicole has really battled with cancer. And now, here's what we need to do. Dottie and I visited with Nicole and Scott, Carly and Will yesterday afternoon in their home. She's in hospice now. And I said, Nicole, what what should I ask the church to pray for you? And she said two things. She said, pray that my pain would be less. And number two, pray that I have strength. Now, I'll tell you what, God hears our prayers and I want you to bow today. And let's just have a moment where each of us pray my pain be less, and I have more strength. Let's pray. God, even yesterday, she had her mask on, but I could see her eyes, and I knew behind that mask there would be some kind of smile. That's just who Nicole is. Lord, I do pray today that even today, you'd give grace to help her with her pain. And I pray she'll have strength. I pray for the whole family. And God, thank you we can just stop what we're doing and care and pray for those who've been such a blessing in our, by their lives to all of us and to our church. Now, God bless us as we worship. Here we are, God, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. 
And Lord, we just all have a lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful, and I'm thankful on behalf of all of these here in the room. We got up this morning, we were able to come to church. Not only that, I'm thankful we wanted to come to church, and we came. Would you, God, bless everyone today and their families this Thanksgiving week? And I just pray that this week we'd focus on the multitude of things that we have for which to be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, we're thankful that today we are here in the baptism and I, um, this morning, baptizing too. So if your family and friend, would you please rise and stand at this moment? Right now, I am baptizing Michelle. Michelle just shared that you know, she's doing this baptism to rededicate her life. She called John, and, and she was baptized when she was younger, but called him and said, hey, I would like to redo, the, uh, redo my baptism. So that's why we're here in celebrating. So Michelle, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Have you decided to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Well, sister, with that proclamation, I now baptize your name in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. I'm also baptizing Wesley this morning. Wesley, I met him a couple of months ago in the family room. And Wesley, just like we talked about back then, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. Are you ready to follow him all the days of your life? Absolutely. Well, brother, with that confession of faith, I now baptize your name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pray with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you so much for these individuals being baptized. God, we pray that you just do an amazing and wonderful thing in their lives. God, in all these things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.
Just bow down before your throne. See your face, I cry out because you're holy, holy, holy.
majesty, you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords. And we gather in this place this morning to proclaim that, to worship you this morning. And we can't wait to hear the word. You're gonna speak into our hearts today from your word in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Amen and amen. And on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for Jimmy and the choir and all these people who help us each week with the music and thankful for you today. Now, normally here we are the Sunday before Thanksgiving and whether it was my dad preaching or me preaching, normally we would preach a Thanksgiving sermon, right? To get everybody ready for Thanksgiving day. But this year is going to be a little bit different because we are in the second week of what's going to end up being a three-week series on kindness. And so here's what that means. On Thursday, when we sit down with our family and friends, we may not be as thankful as we should be, but hopefully we'll be extra kind, right? Because maybe uh, in some ways that's just as important as being thankful. Now, I received a letter in the mail last week from a faithful member of our church, a man and his wife, been coming here for a good long while, and he said, hi, John, just a quick note here to say thank you so much for the sermon on kindness this past Sunday. And then he said, I'd like to hear more of these. Many years ago, I came across a saying that I adopted as my life motto. And he said, I'd like to share it with you. And I thought this was really good. Be kinder than necessary, for everyone you meet is fighting some kind of a battle. And so when I read that and I thought, now, you know, that really is a good motto. Be kinder than necessary, for everyone you meet is fighting some kind of battle. I thought maybe we really are covering a topic here that needs to be covered. And something that we need to deal with in our own lives this morning, we're going to be thinking specifically about showing kindness to those people who are in dry places, to those people who are going through hard times in their lives, and how our kindness to them could make all the difference, not only in their lives, but it could make all the difference in their eternity. So if you'll open your Bible this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 9, this is the same passage we were in last Sunday morning, and it's the same passage we're going to be looking at next Sunday morning, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, in this particular passage, just to kind of review things, David is the king of Israel. Saul has died, David has become king. And yet David had so much love in his heart for God and for people that he was looking for someone to express some of that kindness to. And so David asked this question, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I might show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was one of Saul's sons, and uh, Jonathan and David were the best of friends. And so it was told to David that Jonathan, even though by this time Jonathan has died, that Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And they said to David, now, this son of Jonathan is crippled. Mephibosheth is crippled. Years ago, his nurse accidentally dropped him. And when she dropped him, he became lame in both of his legs. He became paralyzed from that fall. But that is someone that you could show kindness to. Now, in 2 Samuel 9, let's begin in verse number 1. Now, David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. 
And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And so here's this young man, Mephibosheth, paralyzed, crippled, lame, unable to walk, and he's living in a place called Lodabar, a long way from where David was in Jerusalem. And so David is the king, sends for Mephibosheth, brings him to the king's palace, and says to him, from now on, you're going to eat at the king's table. So David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, and it changed Mephibosheth's life. Now, this whole idea, or not idea, but this location, Lodabar, where he was from, that word literally means no pasture. In the Hebrew language, the word lo means no. And then the next word there, debar, means pasture. And so Mephibosheth was living in a dry, barren place. There was no vegetation. There was no fresh fruit. There was uh, nothing growing there in Lodabar. He was in a dry place. And it got me to thinking about the world in which we live and how so many people are living in a spiritual Lodabar. They're living in a dry place. Now, as I think about Lodabar and how that relates to us today, now in a moment we're going to be thinking about showing kindness to people who are there. But before we get into that, I want us to think about what is Lodabar today? What does this represent? I want you to look at what we have, what we've printed there and how we've answered that. For us, Lodabar is not a place on a map. Instead, now, now I want you to think about this. It is the condition of our hearts when our lives are dry, barren, empty, fruitless, meaningless, and void of direction and purpose. Now, before we move beyond that, I want you just to think about that and think about your own life. Could it be today that here you are in church on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and yet some of these descriptions fit you? Maybe today you say, John, I'm kind of like that. I'm in a dry place, a barren place, an empty place, a fruitless place. I'm not really producing any fruit for the kingdom of God. It's somewhat a meaningless existence that I have. And not only that, as I look out into the future, my life is void of any direction and any real purpose. I don't really have a goal. I don't really have anything I'm shooting for or looking forward to. I am in a di it's different from Mephibosheth. His was a place on a map. It was a physical dry place, a barren place with no pasture. But some might say, today for me, it's spiritual, it's mental, it's emotional, and that's where I am. Now, let me make a couple of statements about Lodabar before we get into how we can show kindness to others who are there. The first thing I would say is this. Some people are in Lodabar, and they don't even know it. 
They don't even know they're there. In other words, they're in this dry place and they've been there for so long that they don't even know that they're there anymore. And this can happen to us in life. Sometimes if you're experiencing something and that's all you've ever experienced, you don't even know how bad it is. I can remember when my brother and I were maybe 12, 13 years of age, our family lived in East Texas. We were big fans of the Dallas Mavericks. And we would watch those, those teams and, and those, those games, and we'd love to go to Reunion Arena in Dallas anytime we could to watch a, watch a Mavericks game. But as you know, it's expensive to buy a ticket to a, to a professional sporting event. And so anytime we went with our parents or with some other friends, we would always sit in the nosebleed section at the top of Reunion Arena, just as far from the action as we could be. Well... On one occasion, our doctor in, in Sulphur Springs, a man named Dr. Kurt Cutrell, called us or saw us at church, and he got me and Joel and pulled us aside, and he said, guys, listen, I've got two extra tickets to the Mavericks game this Wednesday night against the Boston Celtics, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and I would like for y'all to go with me to that game, but here's the problem. It's on a Wednesday night, and this means you're going to have to miss church on Wednesday night to go to the game. So talk to your dad about it, see what he says. And so we went home that night and talked to dad and said, look, we've got an opportunity to, uh, to go to this game with Dr. Cutrell on Wednesday night. And we know that you and mom want us to be well-rounded kids, and we think part of being well-rounded... <laughs> is skipping Wednesday night church at least once a year. We, we think at least once a year. And he said, well, that, that seems fair. And so, so we went to the game with Dr. Cutrell that night. Well, when we got there, Joel and I had been in Reunion Arena lots of times. And so we gave our ticket and we were going in and we started going up like we were going to the seats that we normally sat in. He said, what are y'all doing? He said, We've got, I've got better seats than that. Follow me. And he took us down to courtside seats of Reunion Arena, not on the court on the side, but behind the goals. It was still, we were so close. And I remember looking, at, getting seated and watching the pregame and then the game. And I thought, I never knew you were supposed to be able to see the players, you know, and to see their expressions. And you could even hear them when they would holler at the referee or something like that. See, what happened, we had been sitting in the nosebleed section so long, we didn't know how bad our seat was until we got down there and got into a good seat. So a lot of people are like that in life. They don't know that they're sitting in the rafters or in the nosebleed section because that's all they've ever known. So I'm simply saying, as we think about reaching people in our community, reaching our friends for the Lord. Some people are in Lodabar and they don't even know they're there. They don't have anything to compare it to. But not only that, some people are in Lodabar and they're trying to make it better themselves. In other words, their life is dry, their life is barren, their life is fruitless, their life is boring. Their life has no direction. Their life has no excitement. They're in, they're in a dry place. And what are they doing? They're trying to make it better themselves. And they're trying to feel. Now, this makes sense to me. And we've all done this on one level or another. What they're doing is they're assessing their lives. And they're saying, my life is not all that exciting. And it's not all that great. And it, it, it's just not what I wish it were. And so they're trying. They're turning to the things of the world. And they're looking for the things of the world to provide them excitement and to provide them fun and to entertain them 
and to try to get something going good in their lives. And yet what we have all discovered anytime we do that is that the things of this world, they don't last. The, the excitement fades. You know, two weeks ago last night, the Astros won the World Series, right? And we were all so excited. The big home run in the sixth inning, it was just a great, I mean, we were all watching that game. We were all so excited. And the next day we came to church and I came out here to welcome the guest. And I said, how about those Astros? And man, the place just erupted and we were all so excited for the Astros. Now it's only been two weeks since that happened. Now, if I said today, and I'm not saying it, so don't everybody start clapping. But if, if I said today, when I first got up here to preach, how about them Astros? Well, there would have been a smattering of applause, but it wouldn't have been like it was two weeks ago. I mean, I think people would think, yeah, the Astros won, but that's, that's, been, that's been two weeks. In only two weeks, it has, it has faded. Now, let's just project that out. Let's play like now. It's the, let's use our imagination. Let's play like now. It's the second Sunday in February, Super Bowl Sunday. And let's use our imagination and say the Texans are in the Super Bowl. Let's, re <laughs> let's really use our imagination, okay? And so on Super Bowl Sunday, the Texans in the Super Bowl, and I come out here, and my opening line on Super Bowl Sunday is, how about them Astros? You're saying that thing, now wait a second. It's Super Bowl Sunday. The Texans are in the Super Bowl, and you're talking about the Astros? John, that's old news. That was a long time ago. Well, in February, it will have only been three months since it happened. And yet the excitement of that World Series win is already fading, and by Super Bowl Sunday, it'll be pretty well gone. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying that's how the world is. When we turn to the world for excitement and fun and trying to fill out the dry places of our lives or fill up the dry places with our lives with the things of the world, it doesn't last. It's like you have to go from one thing to another because the things of the world don't last. This is the advantage we have as Christians. God never gets old. His mercies are new every morning, and he's as fresh today as he was yesterday, and he'll be as fresh tomorrow as he is today. But I'm saying some people are in Lodabar, and they're trying to make it better themselves. Now, not only that, think about this. Some people are in Lodabar, and they can't get out on their own. I mean, here was Mephibosheth, crippled, unable to walk, stuck in a place where there was no pasture, Lodabar, and left to himself, he would have lived and he would have died in that place had it not been for David the king sending and calling for Mephibosheth and having his people to bring him to the king's palace. Mephibosheth would have died in that condition. What am I saying? Some people are in Lodabar, and they can't get out on their own. They are spiritually dried up. They are spiritually crippled, spiritually lame, spiritually dead, and they can't get out. They have to be brought to Jesus. I, I, I was thinking last night about all the times in the Bible where people were bringing people to Jesus. After uh, Andrew received Christ. He went and found his brother Philip, uh, his brother Peter rather, and he brought him to Jesus. As, after Philip found Christ, he went and brought his friend Nathaniel and he brought him to Jesus. Those four men that had that paralyzed friend who couldn't walk, they put him on a mat and they carried him and they brought that man to Jesus. Our job as the children of God, those of us who have been brought to the king's table, those of us whose lives have been changed, our job is to go to others 
who are living in a spiritual Lodabar and bring them to Jesus because many of them can't get out on their own. Now, I was thinking about this whole idea of people who are living in Lodabar, people who are in a, in a dry place spiritually and, and what that's like for them and why are they there? Some of you today may be in a dry place and the question is, why are you there? Why is it like this? Well, some people are in Lodabar because of their own sin. You know, sin has a way of putting us in a dry place. David, after he committed adultery and murder, David said to God, he said, God, when I kept silent about my sins, when I refused to confess and repent of my sins, when, when I was harboring those sins in my heart, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. What was he saying? He was saying, God, I was in a dry place. It's like I was in a spiritual Lodabar, but when I confessed my sins to you, everything changed and you forgave me and you cleansed me of my sins. Sin takes the life out of Christianity. It doesn't take the Christianity away, but it takes the life out of it away. That's why David prayed, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Can a Christian sin? Yes. Can a Christian sin and be happy? No. The most miserable person on earth is not an unsaved person. The most miserable person on earth is a saved person living out of the will of God. A saved person living in sin. Why? Because a saved person out of the will of God living in sin has quenched the Spirit of God and has lost that joy that they once knew. And as a result of that, they're miserable. Whereas an unsaved person never knew that joy to begin with. And so they're miserable, but it's not in the same, it's not in the same sense because they haven't lost anything. They didn't have anything to lose. But those of us who are saved, when we sin, we lose that joy. And many times people have sinned, and but we've all sinned. And because of that sin, it has put them in a dry place spiritually. So what do we do to somebody who has sinned? And as a result, they're in a dry place. How do we treat that person? With contempt or scorn or judgment? No. We restore that person to a right relationship with God. In Galatians chapter 6 in verse 1, Paul is talking about restoring a brother who has fallen into sin, restoring a sister who's messed up. And Paul said, you who are spiritual, go to that person in a spirit of gentleness and restore them. That Greek word restore is the word that was used in the medical community when a doctor would reset a broken bone. And that's what God would have us to do, not to judge them, not to throw stones at them like the Pharisees did with the lady caught in adultery, but to go to them in a spirit of meekness and gentleness and say, hey, God can forgive you. God has forgiven me of my sins and God can forgive you of your sins as well. And so we go to those who are in Lodabar who can't get out on their own. And what do we do? We restore them in a spirit of humility. Now, some people are in Lodabar, not because of their sins necessarily, but they're in Lodabar because of circumstances beyond their control. Something has happened. They couldn't help it. And as a result, they've lost their joy. They've lost their excitement. They've lost their peace. And they're, they're, in, a, they're in a dry place, but it's not a, as a result of sin. And so what do we do in that case? We remind them that God's grace is sufficient and that God will help them and that God will see them through. And then some people are in a spiritual low to bar and it's, it's all they've ever known. And what should we do? We should rescue them and we should help pull them out 
of their, of their dry place. You know, whatever the reason might be that somebody's in a dry place, we as the body of Christ, we as the people of God should go to them in restoration, in reminding them of God's grace, rescuing them, pulling them out, and helping them. Not to throw, I can remember maybe, man, this has been a long time ago. It's been 25 years ago. And there was a well-known American person who committed a sin, a terrible sin. It was unquestionable that he had committed this sin. And it was horrible. And... He finally admitted it, but even after he committed it, he continued to be, to be judged and, and people who didn't like him throwing stones at him. I mean, and it was just a bad situation. And I never had necessarily been a big fan of the person who had committed this sin. And certainly the sin he had committed was bad and there was no question about that. But I just remember back then kind of feeling sorry for the guy and thinking, man, what he did was wrong, but I just wish somebody could get to him and, and tell him God will forgive him and God will help him. And, and I remember one night I was watching television. I was just flipping through different stations. Here's ESPN. Here's this channel. Here's this movie. Here's this. And I'm flipping through and flipping through. And I came to one of the Christian stations, TBN or Daystar, one of them. And there was a well-known American pastor preaching. In fact, this is a, one of my favorite pastors. He still pastors today. He was preaching. And he got off on this man's sin. He brought it. There was one of his sermon illustrations. And he just, he just drug this man through the fire and through, just raked him over the coals and just blasted him for his sin. And, and, and again, what he had done was wrong, but he was just blasting him. And when he got finished just, you know, really blasting this particular man, the congreg you, you thought we were excited when the Astros won. It's like the people started cheering that the pastor was blasting this man. And I remember watching that, and I just remember thinking, I wonder tonight if that man who committed that sin and who already felt awful for what he did, what if he were home tonight and he was flipping his remote, he was changing stations, and, and he went to the news, and they're talking about him there, and he went to another news program, and they're blasting him there, and he kept going and flipping stations, and everybody he goes, it's just everybody's just talking about this man's sin, and so he, maybe the man thought to himself, well, I'll just put it on the Christian station, and maybe, maybe a Christian minister, maybe somebody will have something that can help me and, and, and encourage me and give me a little bit of hope for the future, and so he puts it on the Christian station, and he finds out the Christian station is harder on him than the secular stations. And I just remember watching that, and I just remember thinking, God, as much as I love and respect that pastor, and I don't judge him, he's my elder, I would never rebuke an elder. I don't do that, I don't but I just remember thinking, God, don't ever let me use a sermon to blast somebody who has sinned. Help me to use sermons, God, to point people to Jesus where they can find mercy and grace and forgiveness and redemption and hope and a second chance and a new beginning and not have stones thrown at them. And so I think that's, the, that's certainly the spirit of our church, that's the spirit of God, and that has to be our heart. You know, Jesus said to those Pharisees, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And uh, that's none of us, we've all sinned, and we, we wanna be that kind of church. You know, I was talking to some, some friends the other day, we have a couple in our church, Robert and Kristen Hodson, fine young couple, and uh, 
love the Lord, serve here in one of our connection groups, doing a lot of different things. Kristen volunteers at the Crisis Pregnancy Center every week. And I was talking to them the other day, and she said, she sent me a text, and I followed it up with a phone call. She said, John, I had an amazing experience. She said, I was working at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. I volunteer there every Wednesday, and a lot of these young girls are coming in, and they're, they're pregnant, and they're not married, and they're at a real crossroads in their lives, and they're trying to figure out what to do and where to go, and, and we're, we're trying to talk them into to having the baby, and course now thankfully that the laws have changed you know you uh, but still if somebody if somebody wants an abortion they can go to another state and have the abortion and he said she said we're doing everything we can to encourage these girls to to have their baby and we're here to help them our church supports that ministry every month money was given to them through harvest day to help and help them in what they're doing she said john a young girl came in about 17 years old came in with her mother young girl's pregnant not married and uh just really trying to figure out what to do in life. And they came up here to, to get some help. And so we, we told them some ways practically that we could help them and things we could do for them. And we encouraged the young lady to, to go, go through with the pregnancy and to, to have the baby. And, and in fact, she had already decided that's what she was going to do. She was going to have the baby. And, and uh, the mother was there to support her, and yet even though they had made the decision or she had to have the child, you can imagine, you put yourself in, those sho- in her shoes. What must this feel like? And so at the end of their visit together, Kristen said, do y'all have a church in the area that you go to? And they said, no, we don't really go to church. And Kristen said, well, my husband and I go to First Baptist in Pasadena, and I'd just like to invite you to come. I, I think you would like it. The people are not, I mean, the people are nice, and and I think you'd be blessed by coming up there. And, and this was on a Wednesday. And so she said, in fact, if you'll come to church on Sunday, you can sit with me and my husband. And so they said, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to come. They told, she told her the time, told her where they sat. And they said, we'll be there Sunday morning. Well, it got to be Saturday. And the mother and daughter were saying, well, tomorrow's the day. We're going to go meet Kristen and her husband at church and sit by them. And one of them said to the other, well, you know, we've got a friend who doesn't go to church anywhere. And and uh, maybe we should call him today and invite him to go to church with us tomorrow. So they called this friend and they said, look, we met a girl last week at the Crisis Pregnancy Center named Kristen and she's invited us to come to First Baptist and says everybody up there is loving and kind and nice and they're going to help us and encourage us and we're going to First Baptist tomorrow and we'd like to invite you to go with us. Can you go tomorrow? Do you have plans already? He said, no, I don't have plans. He said, in fact, I just got out of jail earlier today. He said, I'm free as a bird tomorrow. I can go wherever you want to go. And, and they said, well, meet us at First Baptist. And he said, okay, is that the one? They, yeah, that's the one. And so he came to the service. And they sat back there by the, the back section on the lower level. Came to the service, met some people, had the worship time, listened to the sermon, heard about God. Heard at the end of the sermon how God, could, God meets us where we are. God will forgive us. God will save us. God will give us a new beginning. God, you know, all this. The invitation was given. The mother, the daughter, the guy that just got out of jail, all three of them prayed to be saved. All three of them stood up confessing their faith in Jesus Christ. Some have already been baptized. Others are going to be baptized in the, either today or next Sunday or sometime soon. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Where people can come in here from the crisis, crisis pregnancy center. 
People can come in here right out of jail. And people can find a God who meets them where they are. What is our responsibility as a church? Our responsibility is to go to people in dry places and to show them the same kindness that God has shown us. To take them by the hand, to bring them to the king's table so that they can find and experience what we have found in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, Father, we thank you today for your kindness to us. And, God, I pray this week that you'll give us an opportunity to show kindness to somebody else. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed, as I said at the beginning, this is a different Thanksgiving sermon. But, you know, as we'll talk about next Sunday, one of the things I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for the kindness of God, the grace and mercy and love of God that he has extended to us in Jesus Christ. Would you right now, Christian friend, thank God for his kindness and grace and love and mercy towards you? That he hasn't thrown stones at you or that he hasn't sentenced you to a life in Lodabar, but that by grace he has invited you and received you at his table where you can feast with him for the rest of your life on earth and then for all eternity. Would you pray this week? Maybe it'll be at a Thanksgiving family get-together. Would you pray this week that God would give you an opportunity to show kindness to somebody who's in Lodabar? Maybe because of their own sin. Maybe because of circumstances beyond their control. Or maybe because it's all they've ever known. Would you ask God this week at Thanksgiving lunch or Thanksgiving dinner that if a political conversation gets brought up or some controversial conversation gets brought up, instead of just angrily expressing your views on a particular issue, that you this week would show kindness and love and graciousness and mercy So that through that kindness, that person could come to experience God in the same way that you have come to experience God. Now, there's some here today who say, John, I've never received Christ myself. I am in Lodabar. I am in a dry place. And I need a new beginning. I need that food that's being served at the king's table. Friend, you can experience that if you'll confess your sins. It always begins there. You can't, you can't receive new life if you bypass confessing your sins. You have to deal with the sin issue first. And then once that sin issue is dealt with and those sins are forgiven, then you receive Christ. Then you have that new life. If you're not absolutely certain that you're saved, would you pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart, and Lord, in this next moment or two, give me the courage to stand up and by standing to confess my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. 
We never know from week to week and from service to service how many are being saved. It's just been a beautiful thing to see the significant numbers of people saved in the last several months. But today, if you have prayed that prayer, or maybe you prayed it before today, but you've never taken your stand for Jesus Christ, we're going to ask you to stand. Standing doesn't save you. Trusting Christ saves you. But there's something about standing that settles it and seals it in your heart. And it's certainly an obedient step to take and the right thing to do. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. My dad and I are looking around. Others are praying that you'll have the courage to stand. If you have never stood for Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to stand right now all over this room. Just There's one right there. Thank you. Just remain standing. I want to have a prayer for you. Thank you for standing. That took courage. Another one stood. Thank you. That took courage. Going to be the best Thanksgiving you ever had. Jesus said, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And this is the ultimate reason for us to be thankful on Thanksgiving Day. Not just for our family. Not just for our health. Not just for our provisions, but for our salvation. Who else today would stand and by standing and say, John, I want to confess Christ, my faith in Christ on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. Who else would stand? We're going to take about 30 more seconds today. I won't drag it out, but I want to give you an opportunity. Anybody else? Anybody in the upper level today? Anybody else? Last chance for today. Father, I thank you for these two who have just come to the king's table. I pray you'll help them to know that today is the first day of the rest of their lives. That the past is forgiven. And the future, Lord, is, is a beautiful future in your will and in your, in your provision, in your direction. Give them peace in their hearts, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen, amen. Let's thank the Lord. This is a beautiful sight. I want to encourage both of you, if you can, I know it'll take about 10 minutes of your time, go to our family room. We want to give you a brand new Bible today and some other literature that'll help you grow and take your next steps with God. And then others here today who say, John, I'm already saved, but I want to join First Baptist. Just drop by the family room today on your way out. And uh, ministers are there and uh, they'll give you exactly what you need. Well, folks, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be in church on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. We've got a lot to be thankful for. Amen. And I hope for you and your family, this is a great and a meaningful Thanksgiving. And when you sit at that table on Thursday, be thankful for the people who are around that table with you. But be thankful that we're headed to a better place, to a better table. And we're going to be reunited with those that have gone before us. And that the uh, best Thanksgiving is yet to be. We're going to stand. Jimmy's going to get us out of here good. And I hope you have a great, great rest of this day. You know, earlier in the month, you guys picked up 5,000 of these invite cards to the singing Christmas tree. We've put 2,500 more out there this morning. They're in packs of 12. Grab one of these, and as you pass those out, you're fulfilling the purpose of our church. And what is that? To help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Let's sing as we go out of this place. Praise the Lord Jesus. Jesus.